uh, Matthew was slain by the sword in a city in Ethiopia. Mark dragged through the streets of Alexandria until he expired. Luke was hanged on an olive tree in Greece. Uh, James the last thrown from a pinnacle or wing of the temple. Philip hanged up against a pillar in Phrygia. Uh, Bartholomew was flayed alive. Andrew was scourged and then tied to a cross where he preached to the people for two days before he died. Jude was shot to death with arrows. Thomas was run through the body with a lance. Simon Zelotus was crucified. Peter was crucified upside down. Matthias was stoned and beheaded. And of course, the Apostle John was exiled to the island of Patmos, uh, the only one to die of old age. These were men who were not ashamed of Jesus Christ. Uh, let's stand as we pick up our account in 2 Timothy, first chapter. Second Timothy, that first chapter, verse 9, is going to be our focus. just want to pick up at verse 8 where Paul tells Timothy, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Let us pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for this encouragement from Paul, for Timothy to stand and, and not to be ashamed. And Father, we're thankful for all the things that were shared with Timothy, things that encourage us today, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please, please be seated. So as we look at these uh, verses moving in the second half, the first chapter, Paul has given us and Timothy some protections that help us stand strong in our witness for Jesus Christ. And Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, don't be ashamed with Jesus. These are the things that you have that you need to be mindful of. If you look at verse 6, Paul tells Timothy to refresh your gift. Uh, Chuck Lawless, who is dean at Southeastern Seminary over in the East Coast, he says it's easy to lose our Christian passion for Jesus to become just routine. And that can happen by sin, being self-centered, neglecting our spiritual disciplines, failing to be with God's people. Lots of things can erode our passion away. And so Paul tells Timothy in verse 6, refresh your gift. Pay attention to your walk with Christ. Feed your faith. That's a daily thing. That's an ongoing thing. Uh, we must not neglect it. We always need to be investing in our faith. Be obedient. Nourish our love for Christ. And all that goes with refreshing 
our gift. The other resource we looked at is in verse 7. To recognize our resources. And there Paul points out, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. Uh, notice what's not given. Fear. We're not given that. But we are given power. Dunamis. Great power. Uh, that's the power that Christ promised the disciples in Acts 1.8 when he said uh, to them, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be given power and then you can go be my witnesses. And then we have love, the spirit of love. And certainly the love of Christ is powerful. We have that. And we have a sound mind, discipline, self-control. So refresh your gift, recognize your resources, and then last week we looked at verse 8. Realize hardship will come. Where Paul says, Be not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of him, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. And we looked at the fact that we need to be aware of uh, many different false gospels that come in. One that seems to be very popular, making a, a resurgent, is what we call the name it and claim it, the health and wealth prosperity gospel. And that infects churches big and small. That's attractive to people. Uh, Randy Alcorn says, this type of teaching poisons the church and it undermines our ability to deal with evil and suffering because it is there. And good people, wonderful Christians, go through some very difficult trials and suffering, no fault of their own. Uh, Jesus said, we will have tribulation in this world. Peter says, don't be surprised by suffering and James says, expect trials. And here Paul says, be partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. In other words, suffer hardship together. And to Paul, it's a privilege. Later on in this third chapter of 2 Timothy, uh, verse 12, Paul there says, yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You want to live godly? You're going to suffer persecution. In, in some way, you're going to be mistreated because of that. It'll happen. Paul learned that Christ's grace is sufficient. That the strength of Christ is perfected in our weakness. So realize hardship will come. Let's move to verse 9. And here Paul unfolds another resource. Here in verse 9, Paul tells us, remember your calling. Verse 8 ends, according to the power of God who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given in Christ Jesus before the world began. 
You see, Paul is telling us it is God's power that allows us to be partakers of the afflictions of the gospel, and it is God's power that saves us. Dr. John MacArthur, uh, he says of our verses here in verses 8, 9, and 10, he says these few verses are a study of soteriology, the doctrine of salvation in miniature. Now, you've, you've learned a new word today, haven't you? A study in soteriology. That is simply the doctrine of salvation. I want you to go to one of your Christian friends this week and just ask them, what is your view of soteriology? And just see how they look at you. If you would have asked me that the other week, I probably looked at you strange too. But it just means the doctrine of salvation. What do you believe about salvation? And here this verse, uh, these verses give it a miniature. What the Bible teaches. So Paul's, he, he's not teaching any new truths to Timothy. He's reminding the him of well-known truths. Truths that are going to strengthen his courage. Truths that will help him stand faithful. Truths that will remind him to live for Jesus. Now let's take a look at our calling. Truths that protect our Christian walk. There's a calling of permanent salvation. Verse 9 begins, Who hath saved us? That's where the power of God comes in. It's with the power of God we can say, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It's the power of God that gives us assurance as Peter writes, he says that we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. And Paul declares here, God has a power to save us. No one else does. We can't save ourselves. It's all God's work. And God has the power to keep us saved. I can't save myself. I cannot keep myself saved. But God does. That's his work. About a month ago, remember a statement that was posted by uh, Dr. MacArthur? And I think it's profound. He said if we could lose our salvation, we would. Think about that. If we could lose our salvation... We would. If that was possible, if our salvation depended any measure on our ability, we would lose it. No one would be saved. No one would stay saved. And heaven would be empty except for God and angels. But his power keeps us saved. Jude, when he ends his short little book, two wonderful verses close it out, but that second to last verse, Jude writes, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless, 
before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. God keeps us from falling. Now, as Baptists, we call this eternal security. Uh, and that's one of our beliefs. It is really one of our distinctives. <coughs> so very basic. Eternal security means all who have been saved will be saved for all eternity. Can never be lost. Now in the Baptist faith and message, we find that kind of statement in what we believe. Uh, it's under God's purpose of grace. Let me just read what, what our official statement says. It says, election is the gracious purpose of God according to which he regenerates, justifies, sanctifies, glorifies sinners. It is consistent with the free agency of man and comprehends all the means in connection with the end. It is the glorious display of God's sovereignty, sovereign goodness, and is infinitely wise, holy, unchangeable. It excludes boasting and promotes humility. All true believers endure to the end. Those whom God has accepted in Christ and sanctified by his spirit will never fall away from the state of grace, but shall persevere to the end. Believers may fall into sin through neglect and temptation, whereby they grieve the Spirit, impair their graces and comforts, bring reproach on the name of cause of Christ, and temporal judgments on themselves. Yet they shall be kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. So that's a good statement. I like that. Now, some other groups and churches believe this. But let me say, they are few. Not as many as we would think. Uh, some and many take no stand on this doctrine. They kind of just don't know, don't teach it, or, or don't believe it. And we'll find that groups that do that will also compromise in other areas of Scripture. But many do not believe the Bible teaching of eternal security. Uh, any charismatic church, any four-square Pentecostal group, they do not believe that, or assembly of God. They will, do not believe it, will not teach it. Uh, Real-life ministries do not believe that. Uh, free Methodist. Nazarene do not believe that. They will teach counter to that. Now, am I picking on them? Yes, I am. Because I'm going to hold their feet to the fire. Here's what you believe. And most of them will admit it. They'll fess up. That's their statement of belief. And it's always good to ask, what does this group believe? 
I'm impressed when people come to our church and say, do you got a statement of faith? What do you believe? I like that. We should always ask that. Back to the past, uh, I've had come people, uh, had people come to our church, uh, realize we're Baptists and kind of checked out what we believe and walk away because of what we believe about eternal security. In fact, I had one Nazarene guy, uh, he told me that is a damnable heresy. That was his view. But I tell you what, he will be glad when he gets to heaven and that he is not saved by his own personal holiness, but by God's power that got him there. Dr. MacArthur says God sovereignly designed salvation. He sovereignly initiates, sustains, and completes salvation. He does it all. That's his work. That's what Paul is saying in a simple phrase of verse 9. God who hath saved us and will keep us. So it's a calling of permanent salvation. Remember that. We also have a calling of holiness. Paul continues in verse 9. And called us with a holy calling. So we've been saved from sins of the past. We've also been saved to walk in holiness. To the Thessalonians, Paul told them, God has not called us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. Peter's going to write in his letter, he says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And as Dr. Phillips points out, Christians are called to be different from unsaved people. We are called with a holy calling. And we really live in a world that, that specializes in being unclean, dirty, filthy. I mean, just turn on your TV. Dirt everywhere. The net. Jokes. Lifestyles of sin. Speech. But Paul says, not the Christian. Be holy. That's our calling. You see, the gospel makes good people or bad people good. That's the work of Christ. And Paul says we've been called with a holy calling. Uh, A.M. Churgwin, in his uh, work, The Bible World Evangelism, uh, he tells the story of a New York gangster that was in prison for robbery, violence involved, and he was released, and he planned to go back to his old crowd, go back to his fellow gang members, 
and plan and commit another robbery. Well, while he's on his way back to his old buddies, uh, he uh, picked the pocket of a man on Fifth Avenue, went over to Central Park to see what he got. Turned out he picked a New Testament. He was really disgusted. Probably a Gideon Bible, Chuck. Well, he had a few hours, so he decided he'd read that thing. Started looking through the pages. And began to read it and read it and got deep into that New Testament. And something changed in him. He went back to his old buddies. Made a break with him. Said, I won't be back. I'm done. You see, the ex-convict got a call to holiness. And he changed his life. That's what the Bible does. It makes us different in our business, in our pleasure, in our character, in everything we do. We've been called by holiness. And then Paul tells us to remember our calling of God's grace. He says, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given in Christ Jesus before the world began. Always like that comment by Mark Twain. Heaven goes by favor. If it went by merit, you would stay out and your dog would go in. We're not called according to our works. Our salvation, our holy calling, is not based on our effort. That's why I love what Paul wrote to the Ephesians when he told them, For by grace are ye saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And we see there twice in a couple verses, Paul tells us our salvation is not of ourselves. It's God's gift. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. I'll tell you what. Heaven would be a miserable place if we got there by our own effort. earned our way through works all we would hear is I did this I did that I am so good look at what I accomplished it and it would go on and on and on it would be miserable and that's why Paul wrote the Ephesians it's God's grace so nobody's going to be boasting in heaven there won't be a single boast. In fact, we're going to stand through all eternity and we're going to say, wow, isn't it marvelous that we're here? We're going to be amazed that God did that. 
We won't even think about boasting. Because eternal life and the holy life are by God's grace. You see, God purposed to make us holy. And he does that by his grace. We don't become holy by self-effort. It's by his grace. We become holy because God purposed to make us that way. By the blood of Christ, by the indwelling Holy Spirit, God purposed that. And if you notice, uh, Paul tells us insight-wise that that was purposed before this world began. It wasn't like God made us and then we went and tripped up and sinned. God said, well, didn't see that coming. He knew exactly what we we're going to do. And he planned it, our redemption, even before he started this world. He purposed that. That he'd give the only begun. Now about, about you. But some days I don't feel holy. And I think we would probably all recognize we have those days, don't we? But I'm thankful that when I get to that door of heaven, God is not going to ask me, Bill, do you feel holy? Because I'm not going to depend on that. I'm going to depend on what God did for me through Jesus Christ. That's what I depend on. Because lots of days, we're going to have days, well, I'm not going to feel. It just was kind of a defeated day. We have those. But we rest in God's hand. And he has purposed to make us holy through the blood of Christ and putting his Holy Spirit in us. And he looks at us, and that's what he sees. This one's been cleansed. This one belongs to me. And no matter what happens, never let's go. He'll get us home. He'll bring our team back up. Peter and Sarah and Erica, come back up. Maybe this morning, we have one today. You need to come and, God, I need to place my life in your hands. I need you to take my life and, and make me one of yours. I need you to make me holy. One of your children. You come. Let's stand as we sing, I have decided. You come.